Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation podcast. Welcome to Mintel's Little Conversation, where our experts bring you fresh ideas and new perspectives on how consumers eat, drink, shop, groom and think. I'm Andrew Davidson, SVP and Chief Insights Officer for Mintel Compare Media, based in New York. And on today's podcast, we're going to be doing something a little different. Now, at Mintel, we often look into the future, but today we're going to be discussing what life for seniors might be like in the year 2030. Now, we're not going to be using a crystal ball, but we're going to be doing something, we're going to be basing it on scenario, a scenario planning exercise devised and conducted by Mintel's own Jamie Rosenberg. So I'm delighted to be joined, not only by Jamie, who is in Wisconsin, but also by Dr. Bahis Ilhan in Chicago and Richard Hopping in London. Welcome to the pod. Hi, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, Andrew. Great. I'm so glad to have you on today. So before we time travel into the year 2030, please uh, just, you know, for the sake of the audience, let's introduce yourselves. Tell us um, how long have you been at Mintel? How long have you been tracking your industry? So, uh, yeah. Hi again, Andrew. My name is Richard Hopping. Uh, I have been at Mintel now for just over eight years. Uh, I joined bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. Now, eight years later, uh, I am focusing on household care. Um, so I've had a, a bit of a varied career at Mintel, but now I've been focusing on household care specifically for about the last four years. Um, and it's been a pleasure every minute of it. Um, my name is Behis Ilhan. I'm a senior trend strategist uh, and brand futurist at Mintel for the last 10 months. Uh, I provide futuristic perspectives and opinions on trends and their impact on brand landscape. Um, I'm a cultural and digital brand strategist and storyteller. I have expertise in uh, cultural branding, consumer culture, media engagement. I had worked with global brands. I have an academic background with startups, and I have been part of the Obama uh, 2012 campaign. I am enjoying my time at Mintel with all these diverse challenges, talking about future and great people to work with. Excellent. My name is Jamie Rosenberg. I'm a senior global analyst at Mintel. I've been here for seven years. Um, I focus on category-specific trends. Um, I have a strong background in competitive intelligence and strategic thinking, and I use that um, those skills to, to look further into the future and develop insights for our clients that helps them build more robust strategies. Great. Thank you all. So we're going to be looking at the year 2030 through this tool called uh, scenario planning. So first, let's unpack scenario planning. So Jamie, what is scenario planning? And, and actually also, how does it differ from what we typically do at Mintel, which is when we look at uh, future trends? Well, scenario planning utilizes future trends. Um, and, and this is one of the, the beauties of the tool. So um, we use scenario planning to create essentially plausible stories to help rehearse business strategies against different ways that the future might play out. Usually around a a key strategic question where there's a lot of uncertainty. Um, So for listeners who who are unfamiliar with this, um, think of it really as a method of storytelling about the future. The scenarios themselves are works of fiction, but they're based on what we call change drivers. So these are real life trends or events that have the potential to, to change the future in relation to our strategic question. So, and, and so using this approach, you were able to map out essentially three visions of the future for seniors living in 2030. Yeah. So h- how did you go about developing those scenarios? Well, 
what we've done at Mintel, um, as you said, we've, we've created um, a set of scenarios that provide insight on a question that I've received from several of our household care clients. And that question is, will home automation and robotics become a viable aging in place tool for seniors? And if it does, will that disrupt the market for traditional cleaning products? Um, this is a very uncertain question in the minds of many of these clients. And so it was something that we thought we would scope out. And, and here's some more background on what's behind this question. So we have a lot of data showing that seniors around the world want to remain active, independent, and in their homes for as long as possible. Household chores are one of the, the major stumbling blocks in achieving this. And, you know, certainly the, the healthy lifespan is increasing, but more seniors than ever before are also living alone and often without help. And this is happening in part because the global fertility rate is declining. So there's this demographic imbalance where there's fewer young to care for the old. Um, this means that people often don't have children to care for them, but there's also a shortage of elder care workers. Now, in tandem with this imbalance, we're also seeing the emergence of home automation and household robots, and they keep mm. getting better. So many of us already use tools like Alexa and Google Home to control lights and thermostats. More of us are starting to use cleaning robots like the Roomba vacuum is just one example to make chores easier. And, you know, you can imagine 10 years from now, this sort of technology tends to improve exponentially. So we can start to envision a world where automation becomes a standing aging in place tool, um, but it also could become the low cost means of remaining independent. So essentially you've taken these change drivers and you've sort of mapped out a vision of the future and then you've created these sort of fictional scenarios. Correct. With, um, with scenario planning, you don't want to look at just one scenario. You want to look at divergent ways that the future could play out. And by looking at different combinations of these change drivers, um, you know, a good economy, a strong economy, a weak economy, um, you know, things like that, then you can start by holding everything else constant and changing a few of these drivers, you start to get a very different future against which um, you need to strategize. It's, it sounds fascinating. So let's, so let's fast forward into the year 2030 and let's start with the first scenario, which you've called niche for the rich. Uh, so tell us, what is this scenario? Yeah. So in niche for the rich, automation really has arrived as a viable aging in place tool. The problem, though, is that just like today, this technology is financially out of reach for the average consumer. Now, even though the global economy is very strong in this future, the wealth gap keeps getting bigger. And so we essentially become a society of robot haves and have-nots. And because this technology allows people to stay in their homes, personal wealth essentially becomes a, a, the main factor that separates who is able to age in place and who um, reaches this tipping point where they have to move to a care facility. And the, the story here, I have to admit, this one was a lot of fun to write. And, and the story here takes the form of an interview with a wealthy retired couple in Connecticut. And we intentionally made this couple oh, just a wee bit pretentious about um, what their wealth provides for them in terms of their lifestyle and being ab able to um, stay in their home, age in place. But we also made them socially aware um, of the, the growing demographic imbalance as well as um, some of the other social problems created by this wealth gap. Now, this is also a future where competitive rivalry 
in the household category is very dynamic. This often accompanies a strong economy. And so brands are looking for meaningful differentiation as well as the ability to control the potential disruption from automation. And so the, the storyline here has a major global cleaning product company that acquires a robotic startup that specializes in elder care robots. And, um, you know, this vertical integration between these two industries is really in its infancy. We wanted to make sure that we were emphasizing that. But we also imply that household brands have an opportunity to use their market strength, their understanding of how consumers care for their homes, as well as their, their scale in manufacturing and their distribution to reduce the cost and ultimately make this technology a bit more egalitarian. Great. Well, uh, so let's bring in our experts to discuss the implications, uh, Bahis and Richard. So, uh, Bahis, how realistic a view of the future is this for seniors? Indeed, it's very realistic. Um, and this is a great uh, place to start the discussion because technology is changing and the advancement of technology has accelerated uh, in the recent years and we will see more accelerating uh, technology in the coming years. Um, I want to highlight two points. Uh, one, I really like the title, Niches for the Riches, because there will be a divide in terms of access to technology for seniors as well, not only for for the, generally for the population, but for seniors as well. What do we mean by that? Especially with the uh, 5G uh, in the horizon, uh, not every city will have access to 5G. 5G is feasible for densely populated cities. Uh, so if 5G is not an option for every city, that means every city will not be a smart city. If every city is not a smart city, then we will not have self-driving cars in every city because we need 5G and its capabilities for fully autonomous vehicles. And similarly for IOTs, IOTs work better and will fulfill their potential in 5G environments. So every city will not be a smart city, meaning or will not having all these technological advancements, meaning some seniors will have access to these uh, life uh, easy uh, making life easier type of options where some want. So that we will have to manage constituencies in senior life or senior care when we're thinking in the future. The ones who have access, the ones who can afford, or the, the ones who are living in the areas that these options are viable, efficient, and effective. Are you, so are you saying that? So, they, are you saying that's then a, a city versus uh, an urban versus country divide or a city versus city divide? There will be both. There will be urban versus city, and there will be not every city will be uh, equally smart. Uh, some cities, densely populated cities, will be smarter quicker than the others because 5G will be more efficient in those densely populated cities where you can have one server and serve many people. So um, there will be both. We will see smart cities. We will be some cities will be only logistic cities that will help for the easier logistics and delivery. Some cities will be just populated cities for people who uh, don't want to be or cannot afford to be in the grid. So that's another discussion. But both, all, all, all of them are uh, like all both distinctions are viable. Because interesting, because under Jamie's scenario, then you might see the seniors sort of gravitating towards smart cities. 
Yes, I mean, they, their lives will be different. So when we talk about senior care, we cannot talk about a universal senior care because the access to technology will be different. The second point I want to make, I really liked how Jamie put uh, what is uh, scenario planning. It utilizes future trends. And one of the future trends that we give to our clients uh, recently is about coexistence. Digital civilization will be about coexistence coexistence of human and non-human agents living together and interacting symbiotically to do whatever they do best. Uh, so we will be living with robots, bots, AI, chatbots, different versions of non smart non-human agents. And that's why we need to understand the dynamics, the boundaries and the red tapes that consumers have in this coexistence. I will give you an example, not from the seniors, but it also applies to seniors. We can extend to it. Uh, many people who go to the sporting events want to eat food in between the periods, uh, but they don't want to leave their spot because there's a big line in front of every food stand. And they're asked, do you want to be served in your space, in your place, in your spot by drones? They say, yeah, I would not have any problem with that. But when they're asked, would you like a robot serving you? Then they say, no, I don't want to be served by a robot. So consumers have preferences and red tapes about when and how and how many times they prefer to be touched by a non-human agent. So maybe a, a senior is okay filing a bank account or filing an insurance and helped by a robot or their house is cleaned by a robot. They will be okay with that but there are also some parts that they want to be touched by the human. And we need to understand these dynamics and not only seniors, every consumer have that so that we can design effective and efficient uh, human uh, elderly consumer journeys. Uh, there are two or three levels of this dynamic. The first dynamic is uh, we are having, our social life is expanding with non-human agents. The other dynamic is Human-to-human -human touch is also changing. Like when we say human-to-human -human touch, which uh, Jamie has uh, touched in his scenario about loneliness and everything, it doesn't have to be physical human-to-human uh, -human touch anymore. We will be interacting with our 2D avatars we are already doing. We will be interacting with our 3D avatars, computer-generated models, or in the future with our holograms. So that human interaction for the consumers will also change in this coexistence. And when we say human in 2030, the seniors will also have augmented capabilities about, uh, for example, the skeletons, uh, the technology about walking is developing, uh, basically augmenting our walking capabilities when we cannot for disabled people or for senior people. So we will be full, uh, expanding and extending our uh, human potential with the technology. So uh, when we talk about human, I think it's important to understand that hum what we mean by human mm. is also changing. But, go, go ahead. <laughs> let me add this, add this too. But when all this happening on the technology side about this coexistence, on the counter trend side, we see a premiumization of the human touch. So these human care, nurse care, all these will be more expensive because robots can scale and more uh, effective and cheaper. So we will see uh, premiumization of the human touch as well. 
Oh, that's an interesting angle too. Uh-huh. Um, so, so well, let's think about this from the brand perspective. If you know, Richard, if you're a brand sitting here now in 2019, you know, how could they plan for this? Well, I think what's really interesting about this is the the divide between the haves and the have-nots. I think that's the the key thing that's standing out to me um, is that there's actually going to be quite a lot of people left behind by some of the biggest companies that are now entering this space. So if you take some of the, the biggest companies that are in the market today, um, in this scenario that Jamie's laid out, uh, they're chasing the high margins, um, there's high competition. So they're going to be heading towards these automated uh, systems, um, towards those uh, more affluent consumers. But that, as you mentioned, is going to create a situation where you've got the haves and the have-nots. And what's going to happen there is that you're going to end up with a lot of people being left behind by those big companies. And what's really interesting, I think, in this scenario is that there's now a massive space for other new entrants to come into the market who are perhaps a little bit less developed um, than some of the, the bigger companies are at the moment. Um, and really attack basically what's... A, becomes a very segmented market. Um, so I think that's something that is very interesting. The, the vertical integration, we're already starting to see happen in BPC. So we've seen L'Oreal buying Modiface, which is a AR company which focuses on smart mirrors and augmented reality, so you can see exactly how makeup looks when it's applied. Um, I don't think we've necessarily seen that in household care yet. So there's a massive opportunity not for household care brands to enter that space, but what they also need to be aware of is that there are already companies who are entering that space 10 years before this scenario occurs. So not only are you going to have competition from within the industry, you're actually going to have competition that's already starting to make those moves. So that's going to be something that I think could be something for, for the big, big name companies to really be concerned about now is they're almost already falling behind already. Interesting. So we, so we have a future here where we have haves and have-nots. We have city versus, you know, distinctions between cities. You know, we've got premium uh, human touch, premium, you know, automation going on. It, it's, you know, in a very interesting world. Some, obviously, some big implications for, for, for brands. So, but now let's go to scenario two, which, Jamie, you've called Senior Village. Um, so w- what's this scenario all about? Yeah, so, so we, we call this, a, it, it takes a senior village and, and sort of a play on, on the takes a, it takes a village um, um, saying. And um, in, in this future, uh, automation and robotics haven't quite evolved to the point where seniors are lining up to buy it. And automation has certainly ad, um, advanced, but in this case, the, the low birth rate has created an industrial labor shortage in addition to an elder care labor shortage. Um, And so what happens here is automation companies follow the money, which is in manufacturing, um, not in in home automation. And governments truly are concerned in in this future, and they are getting involved, but but we imply in the scenario that the, the global economy isn't so strong, and so social safety nets can't provide solutions for everyone. Um, now, we, we also, this gets to, to one of Behisa's points to the last scenario. We, we also developed this theme that there's a global loneliness epidemic among seniors. And when we, when we look at the, um, the underlying change drivers for both of these scenarios, um, you can have, um, in Niche for the Rich, um, 
this type of technology was freeing consumers up for more meaningful human interactions. In um, It Takes a Senior Village, um, seniors were, were largely rejecting robotics and automation um, because it had the opposite effect. It was replacing human interactions. And so what happens in, um, in this scenario is that older consumers essentially take matters into their own hands. We start to see the growth of, of these neighborhood-based programs, and, and we're already seeing these to a certain degree today in 2019, but they bring services into the communities. And through these programs, older people at the younger end of the retirement continuum provide care for those who are less capable. A lot of older, um, newly retired people need to continue earning income. And so this becomes um, a, a bigger um, economic driver here. Now, from a household category perspective, people are, are cleaning their homes in much the same way that they have for decades. Um, this is one of the outcomes of, of you know, largely rejecting automation. So there's less of a threat of disruption, but where brands do find opportunity is in supporting these programs, both with funding and with product. And because of the sheer size of the senior population, this serves a, a strong um, business and promotional purpose. So you touched on the on the household category there. Any other sort of further thoughts there, Richard, about you know implications for for household? I think this scenario is really interesting because it's probably the closest to what we have now uh, in terms of not too much disruption, still focused on on products, people cleaning the same way. So I think that means that brands are probably best placed to deal with this scenario um, as things stand now. But I think the thing that stands out for me on, on this particular scenario is, and, and Jamie, you'll probably agree with this as well, well, hopefully. Um, we've seen in the last five, 10 years that there's been a very big ethical move in household care. So products are becoming more ethical, becoming more environmentally friendly. I think where household care, care brands have maybe not been quite so active is in more social movement. And I think part of the problem with that is where you're looking at products that have a global impact, it's very difficult for consumers to see what the, the actual impact of those is. Those are in tangible terms. If you're doing something in this scenario where you're implementing things on a more local level, you are doing something that people can see and you're making a difference that people can understand. And what's happening over the next 10 years is that there will no longer be, in my opinion, uh, an eco niche because products will, that will be their, uh, the standard that products will be environmentally friendly. So once you've lost that niche, you have to find other ways of making a difference to people's lives. And I think the social aspect is something that brands can certainly get on board with now in readiness for when that environmental focus perhaps doesn't have the same impact that it has done over the last five years. Interesting. How would that play out? Could you sort of paint a picture of how that plays out for a household product? So, so I think a lot of it is in, in similar to what Jamie was saying, but I think there's, um, there's actually a couple of things that we've already seen that are, are quite small at the moment, and it's also focusing on the retail side of things. So we've seen a, uh, an app in Denmark, um, which is retailer-led, uh, which allows people, ordinary people, to uh, basically collect and deliver other people's shopping. Um, so it's kind of like an Uber for um, for shopping, basically. So it's something that should the same environment continue. Mm -hmm. 
that's something that household care brands can be starting to get involved with. Mm-hmm. Um, if events which are supporting local communities. So like James said, not just with funding, but also with mass promotion of, of local spring cleaning events, for example, um, going around um, with, with those newly retired groups helping out the, the elderly within the society. So I think those are, are some of the opportunities that exist not just at, by 2030, but I think there's that, there's some things there that brands can be moving towards. Right now, right? Yeah, that's yeah. no, interesting. And, you, and it's interesting that you were saying that the sort of the whole eco thing is just going to become, or the environmental aspect of it is become, going to become the norm. Um, yeah. it's become, More people are heading towards those products now. More people are demanding and expecting those products. It's by, in 10 years' time, that will be a standard, not a, not a desire. Yeah, yes. And so, I mean, how realistic is this, is this scenario? That was exactly my introduction or like entry, uh, like Richard and Jamie. Uh, this is already happening. Change will not come like we will not walk, wake up to a different world in 2030. It's bits and pieces coming. And if it, our job is to basically see these uh, very emergent movements. Um, I really like uh, Jamie's scenario because most of the time when we uh, talk about senior elderly care, we talk about the individual consumer and their pains and their expectations, their problems, their needs. And uh, we have a micro understanding and try to solve that. But what Jamie's scenario brings is a aggregate level, a community level, a tribe level understanding of the problem and the solution that is offered at that level which is very important, right? Because the resource allocation, the experience, and how people relate are very different in this uh, tribe uh, scenario compared to a micro scenario. And I want to put something in between this micro individual consumer and the tribe level, a micro tribe scenario that I see where the change is happening more and more. When I look at uh, elderly consumers and and how they navigate through life, I observe a group of people that surround uh, elderly people uh, that help them solve their problems. So these uh, group of people um, are a unique group and it's different than a, a rehabilitation center or this tribe that Jamie's talking about because in a rehabilitation center and uh, in the uh, village that Jamie is talking about, uh, the people are fixed. But in what I see um, in this group that surrounds the uh, elderly consumer, it's more dynamic. People come and go. There are full-time and part-time service providers. Uh, there are family members. There are nannies. There are people who helps with the rehabilitation. So I call this an ensemble. Uh, elderly ensembles, elderly consumer ensembles. So the consumer, the elderly consumer surrounds itself with the necessary people as they lose capabilities or abilities, they surround themselves with the necessary services, people and family members so that they can navigate through life. So this is different than a rehabilitation center or different than a a biggest tribe that village that fixed in terms of the uh, boundaries, it is more fluid, it's more dynamic, and people's uh, type and frequency of interaction with the elderly is very varying uh, according to who, who is helping when and with what. Um, people's roles change, expand and adjust, and uh, people come and go, services come and go, and um, 
there is sometimes consistent, there's sometimes intermittent interaction with these different types of groups of people. So this ensemble is more like, uh, there's research talking about that and it, saying that this is very much like a jazz, en jazz ensemble. Like there is a task to be done and everybody improvises uh, to get it done. So uh, it's a microtribe understanding and this microtribe is more fluid and this will be the part that will be more disrupted by the technology because we will have coexistence at this level. So we will, we will put some uh, robots or self-training. So in this ensemble, we will have uh, the robots, cleaning robots or the touch of technology and we will feel it uh, more. Uh, because the composition and the management of this microtribe will change with the technology. That's that, uh, that micro-understanding, expanding that micro-understanding to the village, the tribe understanding is very important, very on point. But I want to emphasize there's a micro-tribe which is less defined with its boundaries, more dynamic, and the uh, roles and uh, um, interaction varies is also something to uh, observe and uh, take note of. Yeah. And if I were to look at these first two scenarios from, from the standpoint of a household brand, um, I think in the, both scenarios suggest relatively strong opportunity for, for brands to get involved. In a sense, this it takes a senior village scenario is a, a, a little bit more viable from the standpoint of, of a household brand because um, the, the pace of innovation um, from a senior standpoint is, is, a, is a little bit slower. Um, these two scenarios both suggest that for, for automation and robotics to resonate with seniors, it, it truly has to be seamless. And it cannot interfere with human-to-human -human interactions. Um, I think that's, um, that's very critical. So brands have to figure out um, you know, in, in, in Niche for the Rich, the, the technology has already arrived. You have these, these very, very capable robots. Um, and, you know, if, if, if money were no object, then everybody would be able to, um, to afford these. But brands have to um, ensure that the, the technology is, is standardized um, and, and intuitive and, and seamless for everyone. And so this is, this is one, um, one of the benefits of this type of vertical integration. Um, this has a, um, when, when big brands get involved in this manner, it has a, a um, the effect of standardizing this sort of uh, technology. Uh, I, do like, I do like this, uh, uh, the image, uh, Bahis, that you've painted this jazz ensemble, which has, you know, a mixture of human and robotic elements. It's, uh, it's, a, it's an interesting image of the future. It's not my uh, term. I, it was a research, academic research. I borrowed from it. I just want to be fair. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. So now let's go to scenario three, which, uh, Jamie, you've called from the ground up. Uh, tell us about this third scenario. Yeah. Yeah. So the, this last scenario from the ground up, um, this is a future where a major tech giant acquires one of the world's largest home builders. And what they do is they, they build homes, as the title suggests, from the ground up to suit different consumer segments, including seniors. And Initially, the initial imp impetus for this move is um, to be able to embed their technology 
more thoroughly into people's homes and people's lives. Um, it's a bit nefarious and, and a bit Big Brother-ish. And we're having this conversation today about Amazon and, and, and Google. Um, but they also start building homes and entire communities for seniors because they can build in all sorts of aging in place tools like biometric sensors, um, automated kitchens. It's much, e much easier to, um, to integrate this from the onset of construction than um, you know, to try to retrofit an existing home. Now, the other thing to point out is in this future, what's disruptive isn't just about automation and artificial intelligence. There are also lower tech innovations like you know, surface materials that um, repel dirt and water. So they reduce the number of cleaning occasions. And so from a, a household brand standpoint, the disruption is a bit more, more sweeping. And when we look at the change drivers behind this future, and especially when we compare it to, for, to niche for the rich, one of the key differences is government involvement. So um, in From the Ground Up, governments see the support of aging in place, not only as a social service, but, um, um, but as an economic development tool for the very reason that it keeps senior wealth flowing into the economy. And I, and I, I think this is a, a very viable um, move um, from governments around the world. Um, and, you know, as seniors become a, a larger percentage of the population, senior wealth is going to become a, a larger percentage of society's wealth. Now, if you're a household brand owner, this is kind of a rough future because there, there's disruption, but household brands aren't really as much in control of their own destiny. And, you know, you think about the powers that be here. You have a major tech company that acquires a major home builder, and then there's all this public money um, flowing in to support this endeavor. So um, household brands are, are essentially... Um, you know, they, they've been left out of this opportunity in strategizing against the scenario. They have to um, find their way back in. So a, a household brand is almost becoming part, a, a more of a component piece than a consumer-focused entity in this scenario, um, which suggests that there's going to be a lot of brands falling by the wayside. Um, and uh, again, this is this is obviously something that is not only from the ground up, but also starting from a very low base as well. Um, so it's obviously not going to happen overnight, but I mean, that, that's, it's an interesting thought um, that the idea of cleaning a house becomes almost an invisible concept. Um, now, I know you're talking about uh, sort of lower tech um, introductions, so it's not all robots and, and home automation and, and walls of ears, et cetera, et cetera. But that, that whole concept that, because pe people still go on about how much they dislike cleaning, they see it as a chore. The changing in, in attitude that may come from that suddenly not being a thought process anymore. Mm. I think it's, uh, I mean, it's taking a lot to get my head around, really. <laughs> um, but I think one of the most interesting things, and this comes back down to the idea of community, and I know that this has been mentioned in a couple of other scenarios as well, but I think we're all so used to talking about how busy we are I would actually be really interested to find out what people will do in a situation where some of these more everyday chores are, are taken out of the equation. Uh, and whether a lot, a lot of these scenarios also talk about, you know, the have and the have nots and everything. And 
And that, that seems to create a bit of division. Are we going to spend more of our time actually on common things or are we going to be spending more time on the things that continue to divide us? I mean, I know that I've gone away from household care and I've gone away from seniors here, but this scenario I think is really, really, all of these scenarios are really fascinating when we look at them on a social level beyond just the, the scope of household care. I mean, yeah. I want to build on that because I think we are talking about the functional uh, benefits that household brands can bring. But when we look at the senior life, um, there, is other, there are other pains or there are other needs, and some of them are very on the emotional level. Um, if you have a person who is aging in your life, you will realize that they are struggling with uh, privacy, uh, not losing their uh, dignity and respect for their body. I mean, everybody is, uh, caregivers are frustrated with the elderly because they take time to decide or they're slow to understand or they cannot make up their mind. And elderly are um, uncomfortable with the uh, caregivers because uh, they are impatient, unsympathetic, and they are annoyed and intolerant, there is an emotional level, emotional layer of this experience that not many brands address. And there's a lot of opportunity there for many brands to address because um, it's, it's already very um, consuming for the elderly to uh, move from able to some level of unability. And this is a big pain for consumer for the elderly consumer. So uh, we need to also focus on that. So there is a difference between humility and humiliation. And some uh, elderly feel humiliated with all these only functional uh, problem solving or like solving the problem by itself. And the other thing, if we're talking about the government, is we are what will change in the future in 2030 or will start changing in uh, 2030 is age as a pathology or aging as a pathology, especially with the Medicare in 1965, I think. Uh, things have changed. Uh, we have uh, Medicare Act solidified uh, the negative association with old age so that they need financial help or they're more uh, vulnerable to illness. So we made aging as a pathology. And this is like, when we compare this to the US values about in independence, self-reliance, uh, then people are feeling cognitive dissonance when they're aging, when they're losing ability, and when the government is treating them as they're going through a pathology. So this construction of the old people as the subject or as the consumer will need to change. Old people unable, need financial help, this needs to change. And I think the, the same movement that we have seen in women empowerment, toxic masculinity, we will see in aging. And there's a big discrepancy between feeling old and belonging to uh, the old group. So when we look at the consumer conversations, not that old, still young. So there is a, a chronological age and there is a there's a difference between the chronological age and belonging to the old age elderly group. So we also have to uh, be aware of that uh, consumer understanding of age and aging. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think we, we tend to say, we often miss out on that in conversations um, when yes. we're talking about millennials and emerging generations such as Generation Z. Um, 
Yeah, and we, another generation, uh, if, if I might add, we will see perennials, like especially the women who are at 40s and 60 year olds right now. Perennial is an ageless generation, people who don't age. Look at JLo. JLo is a perennial. Like he's 50, <laughs> she's 50 and she's like, she doesn't age. So we will see more and more of this uh, people who are chronologically aging, but ageless in terms of the capabilities and the looks. Yeah. Now, you know, if I'm a household brand and I'm reading these scenarios, now, admittedly, these are rather significant departures from, from the worlds that we have now. Um, but the, the thing to keep in mind when you're looking at the plausibility of market disruption is that aging is expensive. And most societies are not prepared for the, the, the swelling ranks of older people. Um, you know, in Japan, I think it's somewhere around 30% of, of the population is already over 65. And that country has announced that it's going to be using robots to, to fill this elder care gap. So I, I think we can, um, you know, just to, to sum up, um, I think we are going to need dramatic solutions. As, as the Heaths and Richard have, have both emphasized, um, we do need to preserve the dignity of older people. Um, we need to empower these people to, to live their lives um, and, and create, um, you know, favorable alternatives to, to um, institutionalization. That's what most elderly around the world want. So we're going to get there one way or the other, whether it happens through, ro through a robot or through, um, you know, growing tribalism and, and, um, and, and community programs, um, that remains to be seen. But I think all three of these scenarios present some plausible um, means of, of getting there. Um, this, I mean, this has been a fascinating discussion. So let me, I'm going to ask each of you in turn, which of these three scenarios is your favorite and why? Whether you define the favorite as however you'd like it to define it, whether you think it's the most realistic or whether you just like the fact that it gives you ideas. Um, uh, Richard, let's start with you. I think from my personal perspective, my favorite scenario, potentially the one that I most hope exists, is the uh, It Takes a Senior Village. But from the point of view of a household care analyst, the from the ground up, where we are almost seeing the wiping out of traditional household care brands as we know it, uh, that has the most interest to me. Uh, and how brands deal with that um, and how they find their way back in, uh, that to me would be the most fascinating scenario. Excellent. Bahis? I will cheat from Richard and it's, uh, I agree, senior, uh, it takes a village. Uh, is uh, hopeful and it tells us that we are in this together and it tells uh, although we as marketers we say like demographics 60 and up we see that in that senior village there is a segmentation like the uh, early 60s and late 70s so there is a we need to think of uh, senior life in shades it reminds me that too and it also uh, tells us um, another trend, which is the third career in the seniors, like people who are, there's a um, note in, in the scenario about a nurse helping in that village. So there's a third career after they're retired, seniors can still feel useful and that helps with the satisfaction, life satisfaction, life enjoyment. That's very important. But from a um, critical perspective, I really like the niches for riches as well. It reminds us that when we talk about seniors and elderly life, excess will not be equal. So uh, we have to think about the divide, 
digital divide, technological divide, accessibility divide to these possible alternatives around the globe in our nation and in our cities. Excellent. I love the way you say that. Niches for the riches. Niches for the uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, And uh, Jamie, do you have a favorite? Well, as, as somebody who has an 85-year-old mother who's currently um, going through this transition and is actually struggling to stay in her home, um, and who is also a big technophobe, um, emotionally, I gravitate towards um, it takes a senior village. Um, from a practical standpoint, though, um, I think by 2030, the, the power of these tech companies is going to be so significant. And the, the technical capabilities are going to be so significant. You combine that with the, um, with the economic need to find some viable alternative to, to care for people. And I really think from the ground up is going to start to have greater relevance um, in the society. I think it's quite plausible that we're going to start building um, new homes and, and in fact entire communities for, um, for seniors in this manner. Um, I mean, with this whole scenario planning process, useful for brands? Um, well, I certainly hope so. Um, you know, the, the whole idea is if you're a brand and you're developing a strategy, most brands look five to 10 years out. Um, the idea is to, to look at your strategy across these different scenarios. Um, the strate strategic elements that are robust across all the scenarios tend to be the most viable. And um, so, so, yeah, I think it's, um, it's a very useful process. I think the positive about this kind of planning um, is it gets you to think about the future but rather than just sticking your finger in the air and plucking an idea out from the depths of your brain, it does it in a very structured, rational kind of way. It shows you the way that, the, uh, that each of those change, change drivers are, are influencing things and what, as a result, are potential scenarios that come out of it. I mean, I think as we've probably gathered from our half an hour or however long this conversation is, that... The, the there is a temptation to probably go too far with it because it's so interesting, and and you're probably I would imagine that if you're using this as a very uh, specific tool, the temptation to continue exploring different scenarios would be uh, would be one uh, something very difficult to resist. It recognizes that we can't predict the future, but you can anticipate plausible ways that the future will play out. I. I think it's very important to address the scenarios help us to uh, see the micro, aggregate, and macro levels, like everybody has a role in this, and the trends do not only happen in the individual consumer and their practices, but there are other fault lines and there are other seismic shifts that happen on community levels, on the government levels, or global levels that or technological levels that shape up all these experiences. That's why I find these scenarios extremely important that shows us these different layers and this different seismic shifts. In 2020, hopefully we will be not old <laughs> or, um, and be more uh, empathetic to uh, people who are getting older and make their lives easier and help them keep uh, their dignity and uh, independence. That's important. Brilliant. Uh, so final word, where would you all think you'll be in 2030? Working at Mintel, of course. <laughs> and uh... well, As someone who lives in the UK, it's very difficult to tell where I'm going to be in 2020. Let alone oh, 2030. Yeah, right. Um, so uh, I think that would probably be my, my main hope for the future without sounding a little bit too um, presidential. I, I hope that we are living in a world which is far more joined up 
and collaborative than perhaps it is now. Um, and I think that's possibly why that first scenario was particularly appealing to me on the basis that it's, it's bringing people together rather than focusing on their differences. Excellent. We'll put that, we'll put that in a little glass bottle and send it out into the uh, English channel. Um, <laughs> sure it'll work. <laughs> time capsule. Um, Vahis, where are you going to be in 2030? Talking about 2050 trends at Mintel. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie? Um, not in a nursing home. Um, <laughs> Um, but but yes, I, I, I think um, I, I also hope that I'm living in a world that that preserves senior dignity, where where aging um, is is not considered a, a disease, but where it's um, you know we, we we've put the tools in place um, so that the the, the the growing percentage of elderly people are um, um, have a high quality of life. Fantastic. Well, let me extend a special thank you, Jamie Rosenberg, Dr. Bahis Ilhan, Richard Hoppings. It's been a fascinating conversation thinking about where we will be and as seniors in 2030. So thank you very much. Thank you for listening. Uh, make sure you subscribe, rate and review this podcast on iTunes or any other platform you get your podcast from. We've just launched. Uh, so spread the word and catch you next week for a new episode of Little Conversation. If you want to know more about Mintel, who we are and what we do, head over to mintel.com and follow us on social media. We're on LinkedIn, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And check out our blog for even more insights from our analysts. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you.